You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Heidi Dusick, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. What role does adventure play in your life? Is it something you do when there's time, when it's convenient? Is it something you actively plan for? What we're talking about here is lifestyle design. How we spend our time doing what and with whom. And even how we save and spend our money, how we plan our careers. Either we're intentional and exert some control over our lives, or we're unintentional and become victims of randomness, of happenstance. Maybe what we need is help. Something ordinary. Something simple. Someone to guide us and show us the way. A Sherpa. Heidi Dusick is the creator of the Ordinary Sherpa podcast, where she helps working families connect to adventure. She is a former teacher and current executive director of the J.J. Keller Foundation, which helps nonprofit organizations change lives through awarding grants totaling roughly $4 million a year. She's a self-described catalyst, innovator, healthy disruptor, and unshakable optimist. I had the pleasure of being a guest on episode 20 of her podcast, Ordinary Sherpa, discussing the concept of opting out. Let's take a listen to a clip. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Today, I am going to be discussing opting out with Doc G. And to set the stage, I really am excited about this concept because so many times we get stuck in what life is and don't always see what the options are. I don't know where I first heard Doc G's story, but I remember feeling completely validated. My path was not that of a doctor. Mine was a teacher. And in that moment, I realized that everything I had worked for was not as I expected it to be. And there was a dark side to this dream. Heidi Dusek, welcome to the show. I want to start with a childhood memory for you. Tell me your earliest memory of a great childhood adventure. What did you do and who did you do it with? I had a lot of adventures growing up. I lived in the country about a mile away from my grandparents. And my grandpa was an outdoorsman and just like the master of random things, you know? So I had a lot of fun biking to my grandparents as a child. You know, today I worry about those things with my kids, but I loved going there. And we were always making something out of nothing, whether it was like a game that we made up or some craft in the garage. So it wasn't always like this massive epic thing. It was these really simple things. 
that just required a lot of creativity. So those were some of my favorite things. Every day after school, I'd try to go there or on the weekends or anytime I got bored, there was always something to do and somewhere to go. And you carried this sense of adventure into high school and college. Did you do a year abroad? I did a a semester abroad in high school. So I had the opportunity. We had hosted a couple of different foreign exchange students, and I had a couple of opportunities, one through school, through German. I uh, was taking German language learning at that time. So I had that opportunity to live in Germany for about, it was a summer. And in that world, they go to school year round. So I attended school there for their, for their semester. And then I did a couple of smaller trips, more like mission trips through church and a couple of other nonprofit. I did some habitat work and things like that in high school and college as well. So it sounded throughout like throughout your childhood, adventure was something you did locally, but also something that had to do with travel. As you were mentioning in the clip, in the intro of our show we did together, you started your career as a teacher. And I feel like your sense of adventure or your dealing with this adventurous childhood came to almost, I don't know if it would be came to a stop, but there was a moment there where it seemed like becoming a teacher was impeding on that adventure that had become so much of a part of who you are. Yeah. So I think I went into teaching for the mission. I think a lot of people go into it for making a difference and loving to work with kids. And I guess I didn't realize how much the system would really kind of beat you down and define your schedule for you. You know, I remember there were days where I'm like, I just need 10 minute break to go to the bathroom. But like things were so scheduled for me. And I realized that as much as I loved working with the kids, my life was now determined by someone else. I just didn't have the flexibility to take a day off, you know, teachers, as much as people say they get the summers off, you really don't get any other time other than the holidays. And so, you know, friends would be going just out for the weekend. They're like, Oh, we'll take Friday off. And I was like, I can't take Friday off. You know, I don't have any personal time and I'm not sick, so I can't do this. So it just became one of those eye-opening moments where I felt like I was doing everything right. And then at the same moment, I felt like I was saying no to all the things that I really wanted my life to be. So it was a really interesting time. And this was early on in your career. You also were married. Did your husband share the sense of adventure that you had growing up? (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) We were just talking about this last night. My husband had never been on an airplane before he met me. And I was like, well, I'm going to change that somehow. (laughs) I didn't know how. I mean, there was a time when we almost didn't get married because I was looking at a job opportunity in California. And he's like, well, if you go have fun, you know, good luck with your life. And I was like, whoa, like he doesn't quite get this yet. But I, you know, I was willing to make that sacrifice and learn through that process that, you know, what if my life doesn't include travel? What does that look like? So we had a lot of conversations and it really wasn't until our kids were born. He, I had the luxury though. He loves motorcycles. He loves cars and motorcycles. So there was a sense of adventure in him. I just needed to draw it out in a different way. And so that's why I think too, it didn't always have to be travel. You know, sometimes it just meant doing something a little different, a little uncomfortable. And that became now our new sense of adventure was let's jump on the bike and go somewhere and be a little crazy. And I mean, we weren't that crazy, but you know, I was okay with that. I still laugh because I think the reason he married me was he was talking about going to a biker rally And I looked at him and I was like, well, let's go. And he's like, well, it's next weekend. I was like, so let's go. (laughs) So we literally like drove four days to get to a biker rally and turn around and come home. 
And I made him buy a bigger bike in the process. You know, so there's, there's not a lot of financial great decisions that have happened along the way, but we we did turn back and, and make those decisions for financial reasons in the end that led to a lifestyle of freedom. That was the uh, big Sturgis rally, right? That they do every yeah. year? Yes. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. We left on a Wednesday and came back on Sunday. And, you know, South Dakota is four states away from here. It's not like it's just a quick hop in the car kind of thing. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. I want to talk soon about this intersection of finances and why we decide to take some adventures and not others. But let's go back to this idea of what is an adventure? I mean, I know it sounds kind of obvious, but I think a lot of people are sleepily going through their lives and don't even realize exactly what that means. Yeah. So I think adventure offers a great platform for people to build resiliency skills, to test their risk tolerance to really try something new and uncomfortable. Because when you get in that comfort zone, it's so easy to drift and just let your life go on autopilot. And for me, adventure has always been, how do we try something maybe uncomfortable, something we're not good at? Sometimes that means a vacation because it's a new experience, but more often than not, it's just trying something different. And so we have decided to really make that a a key part of our life to show up in have it be something, you know, and sometimes now it's through my kids, but adventure has now been a place of how do I test the limits of my comfort and try different things. There's almost like this danger aspect, right? It can't necessarily be comfortable. Right. Oh, and it's not. And and that I think has also helped us understand not just our risk tolerance, but helping our kids work through fear. We just had a moment, uh, we were in Hawaii for the three weeks and we ended up camping on kind of a cliff. (laughs) It was pretty, yeah, it was a little interesting, but it was one of those moments where my daughter was literally in a moment of anxiety. And I was like, oh, I think we took this too far. How are we going to notch this back and get her comfortable again? And, you know, teach her the skills to bring her back down and be comfortable with what we're doing tonight. We were just camping there one night. It was completely safe. I trusted my husband, you know, like all the things that I knew that to be true were true and we were safe and I was never going to put my kids in harm's way. But for them, they didn't see that opportunity yet. They didn't understand those boundaries. And so we had to talk through that. Like, okay, where do you want us to park then? If this doesn't feel comfortable, where do you want us to park the van? So you don't think we're going to go over the cliff and where do you want to sleep? And what could help you like, just think about something else for a little bit. So I think those are skills we don't necessarily learn. They're modeled for us, but not always directly talked about. And so even learning that zone of comfort and what's discomfort, but then what's anxiety inducing and what do you do in those moments? Because when you're presented with an opportunity that brings you fear, so many are in fight or flight mode that they don't know how to respond. And so they just freeze. So for us, it was a great learning experience to just say, okay, here's a moment. Let's talk about it. And what is everybody's threshold for you know, risk or fear or danger? And how do we work through that? Let's talk about some of the other characteristics of adventure. When I hear you talk about this episode, you happen to mention that you were traveling in Hawaii. Is travel necessary? Is travel a necessary ingredient to what an adventure is? I thought it was for so much of my life. Like I thought that's what adventure meant was to go somewhere new, somewhere different And I was working on my own lifestyle design and creating my own plan. And when the question was asked is, what do you want your life to look like or feel like? I kind of responded like, I want every day to feel like a vacation. And so I realized it wasn't necessarily the aspect of going. You know, I talk a lot about on my 
on my podcast, Ordinary Sherpa, it's not about the summit. It's not about the destination. So I realized travel wasn't necessarily the only way adventure is defined. It was really like what happens on vacation that makes it so magical. You know, if we can take that pause or that reset moment to really reflect and try something different to get out of the comfort zones for so many people, vacation is an escape. And I didn't want it to be an escape. I wanted it to be a reset or a, you know, a good noticing moment. I started to realize when I was traveling, I was a better mom. I was more patient because I knew so many things were outside of my control that I listened better and I had more fun. And I, you know, like we designed our adventures to be really I don't know, thought provoking in some ways that we allowed ourselves to try things that we probably wouldn't do in our normal lives because we're so scheduled or we feel like we have to do all these other things. You use the term design. It makes me wonder, does adventure have to be intentional? Is it like something we have to plan out? I don't think so, but I think having a couple things in your back pocket so that when the opportunity presents itself, it doesn't feel like work. So often, I feel, you know, I'm a working mom with three kids. My kids are all 12 and under. And there's so many times where I'm like, I don't ever want my kids to feel bored, but how do I foster that and nurture that along the way? So, and as a former teacher, you know, you always got something in your back pocket to entertain the kids. So I always found like, if I can have a way to really support spontaneous adventure, we do, we've just decided it works best for our family that we create like a monthly list of what's kind of an adventure that we're interested in so that there is some intention, but these aren't, again, they're not like planning a vacation. It's sometimes just, we have a silly one. It's like, let's eat dinner with chopsticks, no matter what dinner is today. Like that's just one that we love to do because it's goofy and it's funny and it gets you out of the routine of everyday kind of monotony, you know, and it just adds a little flair to this life. Quite a number of our adventures do end up dealing with travel. Use the term untourism. And I was wondering what you meant by that. Yeah. So that's just looking at a problem differently. You know, much like in the financial independence world, you're looking at a problem and trying to find just a different angle on it. And I found when I was traveling that I really didn't like all these big touristy things. Um, We've been to Disney. I'm not a fan of Disney. I'm not against it, but it's, I realized really quickly, I'm like, that just doesn't fit us. We're more, we like to be kind of together in our time together on adventures. We don't necessarily want to be entertained. I don't want to send my kids to daycare on vacation. That doesn't feel right to me, you know, like it feels wrong. So we started to look for these little ways to design our adventures or our vacations or our travels differently. And what we found was when I could connect, with the locals and really get an understanding of like, what makes this place unique? What is special about this place? It became such a more nourishing experience. And I'll highlight this just, we just did this and it was the best experience. We actually stayed on Oahu with a family that world schools. And so they love having families come and they host them to interact. So a lot of Airbnbs, it's like, oh yeah, you got your private space. We won't bother you. And this was completely the opposite. They were looking at it differently so that they would host you so that you would interact with their kids and that you would hang out together. And that was like the magic connection point that my kids needed mid-stride to, to find someone else just to hang out with so that they weren't together all the time. Cause that, you know what it's like when <laughs> Too much together time can also be a problem. So things like that, you know, we've also looked at ways to not stay in hotels because hotels just feel really touristy. Like how can we get that local flavor and that local touch so that the experience is more authentic? As we talked about a little bit in my intro, the name of your podcast is Ordinary Sherpa. And you're mentioning going to Oahu and staying with people. And 
it resonates with me, this idea of searching for your Sherpas in different places. Like maybe this couple in Oahu for you was your local Sherpa for that adventure. It seems like different people can be your Sherpas at different times. Absolutely. And I think that we've talked about, so in designing our own life, I will say that there is this curiosity around what would it look like if we took a year off? And we're very curious about that. But then we said, well, what would we do? What would the kids do? What would be missing? What's important to us? And this issue of connection kept coming up, right? So how do we connect with other people around the country if we aren't here, you know, where our where our people are, where the people that we know, like, and trust live? So we started to explore, well, what would it look like? I was fortunate. Part of the reason I think I have some of this in my blood is that my dad Actually, my mom and dad both come from really large families. So in in some aspect, most of my travels as a child were just to visit family in all parts of the country. And I realized like there was something interesting about that experience that I wanted to replicate, but I don't necessarily have as many family members (laughs) that are staying, you know, or they're not willing to host us or, you know, those things like that. We're a family of five. It's not always easy to host all of us. So you started to think about like, well, what if we created that experience, but then just created a tribe of people around the country that we could connect with? that could help us create that experience. And it could be equally beneficial. So again, it's not always about me, right? It's not about me getting the experience. I want the experience to also enrich and support the other person's perspective as well in their life. And so trying to find ways to have that double or triple win, I say, sometimes in life, we need work, life, and play. How do we find that and connect with people across the country and build our own tribe to reach the summit that we're aspiring towards? You talk about intentional creation, creating, or this kind of intentional lifestyle design, it really begs an important question. Like, how do we manage adding in this adventure, but also balancing it with all that other stuff, right? The kids' education, our own careers, our own relationships with our spouses. It seems to me like there's a lot of juggling going on. Yeah. And balance is kind of a myth for me. Like I don't think ever anything is ever perfectly balanced. So what has happened though, is I have found that I needed to to thrive right in life, work and play and kids and school and education, all those things. So what were the margins that were most critical for joy to show up in our life where I still felt like I wasn't sacrificing my career to adventure. I wasn't sacrificing my kids' education in order to adventure. So we started to really learn what were the marginal aspects? And sometimes people are afraid of the margins and I tend to to like run to the margins <laughs> to say, okay, like how do we get here and here at the same time? And, you know, I think it's been an interesting journey because I'm not naturally a salesy person. I come from the Midwest. Like we're humble people. We don't talk about ourselves that much. So it's just not a natural trait to be doing some of these things, especially in the podcast world. You know, like this isn't my natural space. But when I started to realize that we were thriving on the margin, so I'll just give you the issue of like homeschooling, for example, in 2020, we realized that was a wake up call for us because we realized we were doing really well in that space. And we never would have tested that had that opportunity not presented itself. So now I'm going, okay, how do I take that learning now and apply it to our future life? not all of it was great, right? So how do we take the benefits of it and leave the bad, the stuff that wasn't so great behind? It gave me the power though, to say like, this is what 
I want to vote for. This is what I want my life to be like. And I need to start voting with my time. We had been focused, so focused actually on the money. I think about all the times I had job offers and I focused right away on the salary, right? Because that's like, oh, I need this much money in order to survive because my life costs this much. We shifted that. I think we're starting to get towards like phase two of financial independence where we're starting to go, okay, well, what is life going to be like when we are financially independent? And how do we start to practice that? So we started to realize my husband just took a job and the most critical thing for him was the health insurance, which is important, but it was also like, how many personal days can he get? Can he get a sabbatical? Is that an option? You know, so you started to really understand the entire package of what is, makes up our compensation from the financial end so that we realized it wasn't just about the salary. It was about a lot of other things. And now I've been able to say, you know, I'm going to take some time off and I'm okay if it's unpaid time off, as long as it's okay. If you, you know, like we've, I've had some really interesting conversations with my boss as well about what do I want this life to look like? And I know they value me as an employee, so they're not looking to get rid of me and say, cause that would be a huge loss and to start all over and to have that gap. So try to find that win in multiple places of our life. We've had the conversations with my kids' teachers as well and say, we're going to take some time off. We're more than willing to do the work. What is it you want us to do while he's gone so that he's not behind? It doesn't feel like a lot more work for you as the teacher. I think all of those things, as you start to realize what's on the margins, what are the opportunity spaces and how do you look at them just a little bit differently so that you're thriving in the positive aspects of those areas. Let's take a quick break. I'm talking to Heidi Dusick of Ordinary Sherpa, and we are discussing lifestyle design. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago. And I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Wish you were in early on some of the best-performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. Our crowd investors were, and now you can join them in what's next. 
With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Our crowd's investment professionals leverage their extensive network to review some of the most promising private companies and startups in the world. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Ripple, an established innovator in the rapidly growing multi-billion dollar dairy alternative market. Ripple offers alternatives to milk, protein shakes, creamer, and more with a proprietary tech that dramatically lowers impurities for superior taste and nutrition. Get in early on Ripple and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash EAI. If you're interested in investing, you need to join our crowd. The R Crowd account is free. Just go to ourcrowd.com slash EAI. We're back with Heidi Dusick of the podcast Ordinary Sherpa. We are discussing lifestyle design. Before the break, Heidi, we talked about the margins and really balancing time and money. And I wanted to get a little more granular on that discussion of money. How do you know when you're at that money margin? Because a lot of us, we want to get to a financial space of freedom, on the other hand, we also don't want to miss the life passing in front of us. How do you personally decide on where those margins lie? Yeah, so I'm naturally a thrifty person. I'll just say that. And I've taken our budget and maybe I'll just take you on this little journey. When my husband was not necessarily overly excited about travel, I knew I had to keep our budget small enough so that he could be on board <laughs> and not feel like we were taking so much money. It was costing too much or too much time or all those things. So our budget ever since we got married was $2,500 a year. And then as we started adding children into the mix and started adventuring more, it became kind of a challenge. Like how do we stay within that $2,500 budget? And most people would assume as you add a child, the price goes up. As you add another child, the price goes up. And yet it's almost like a gamification that we've maintained a $2,500 budget and tried to stay as close to that as possible. So that just means we start to look at those things in our budget and say, well, what is our expectation? Why does that dollar amount have to go up? And I do the same with food. You know, our food budget, when we go on vacation, we don't eat out. I just don't eat out most often. Actually, I I just don't like to pay for food and my kids don't often eat it or appreciate it as much as I do. So we just don't eat out very much. And that's a choice we've made because we don't appreciate it. We don't value it. It doesn't bring us enough joy for us to sacrifice the dollar amount. However, I do believe in self-care and you know doing things that improve all of us. So I am willing to invest in a mastermind that I'm a part of. I am willing to invest in my business. I am willing to help my husband build a shop because his dream is to build a car. You know, those are the things that we're willing to invest in, but it comes down to really understanding your values. And I've started to recognize that when I when I've been building my budget now, it comes from a place of what brings us value? What brings us joy in these themes that show up? So in our life, curiosity, adventure, and connection are key themes in our life that are important to us. And that's how we design our family budget so that we don't feel like we're sacrificing the dollars in order to do the things that bring us joy. And I don't know if I answered your question fully, but that's kind of the, the mindset that we bring to it is it doesn't necessarily have to always go up. You know, it, not every aspect of your budget requires inflation. Do you ever find yourself having that internal conversation of, I really want to go after this experience. I really want to do this adventure. But then on the other side, you hear your brain saying, but if I don't save more money, 
It's going to take longer to get where I want to be financially. Maybe it's early retirement. Maybe it's working part-time, but we all have these kind of long-time goals and most of them have to do with working less. Do you ever find yourself trying to figure out that trade-off? Yeah. There's days where we probably need to settle down a little bit now because we just came off of a long adventure. And one of the things we did really to think about long-term, we did buy an RV, which is different. It probably felt like a splurge to many people because now we actually have debt, but that's our vacation house on the road. you know. So we thought it was like, what if this is the real estate investment for us, which doesn't make sense to anybody else, which is fine because it doesn't need to make sense for anybody. But we also are thinking about it as a revenue source because then when we're not using it in the years leading up to it, we might rent it out. And that might be a different way for us to get to FI. So there are days when we think about that, but then we go, okay, so let's solve that problem. Why does it feel like a loss by doing this thing? If it doesn't feel good and the, the benefits of this experience aren't outweighing the pain points, then maybe we shouldn't do it. You know, we have a lot of conversations between us to say, is this a really good investment for us? And the beauty is, I'm an idea person. I can throw a thousand ideas at my husband and we made a kind of an unwritten rule early in our relationship that he couldn't say no for 24 hours. And he's a researcher <laughs> and he needs like two to three weeks to figure it out. So the beauty is, is that we really don't make any crazy decisions without a couple of weeks of thought process. And that has been really beneficial for our, for our life, just to have the time to think about it and not feel like we have to make a decision today. That urgency really kind of gets the best of you. And I, I've also found that, you know, I love fashion and I love things like that. So it was easy for me to always want to go shopping and get new clothes and do all these things. And then I was like, well, so often I can just go to the thrift store and find, and most of my clothes I get complimented on are from the thrift store. So as you start to look at problems differently, you realize there's more than one answer to us, to a problem or to a question. We just have to figure out what all the options are. I love that rule that you can't say no to something without waiting 24 hours. I I should tell my wife about that. She would be really happy if we instituted that in our family because I'm I'm like that too. I'm very quick to say, oh, no, that won't work. But you make a valid point. Sometimes you really need to think it through and think of the alternative ways of doing that, which is important to you. Up to this point, we've focused a little on money, but there's also the time aspect. And I think this also gets into the career and the bringing up children we're not only worried about using money that we might need for the future, but trying to juggle time. And so it seems to me there's some time hacks or some ways that you deal with the time aspect. How do we get around that limited sense of, I only have so much time in a day? Yeah. So I think that's why I had to reframe. I'm not willing for adventure to be a once a year vacation experience and had to find ways to say like, what does everyday adventure look like in our life? And the more we can be intentional on the front end, the more things show up in our life, right? We can say yes to more opportunities. Having a side hustle, I've had a side hustle probably for 10 years. My husband has done things on the side. It's a lot of give and take where we're comfortable having uh, time away as individuals, but then also recognizing certain parts are untouchable. Dinner time is something we say like, no, this is our connection time. This is a one time that I'm not willing to give up. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty selfish about that dinner time. I try to make sure that we're there. I also still, my kids are, you know, at that age where they don't really want me as much as they did. <laughs> so when there's an opportunity, like my, my five-year-old couldn't sleep last night, wanted to crawl into bed, I say yes more frequently than I would have previously, you know, because I was trying to create those routines. 
So when opportunities present themselves, I want to be in a place where I can say yes when it makes sense and not feel like I, I don't have enough time. I, and it's it's not perfect, by the way. You know, there are times I have two screens that I'm working from. And one day my, my daughter literally put her face in between my two screens. And then I was like, oh my gosh, okay, this is a wake up call. I need to notice it. She's trying to get my attention. I need to step away from work for a little bit. And that's part of the balance of working from home too, is like, this has been an adjustment for everybody learning what the boundaries are. I think time is something that you also have to recognize. I know so many people that put off adventure when your kids are little because they're like, oh, I'm going to wait until they're old enough and independent enough. And I I think that's a myth. All of our kids were on an airplane within three months. We went on a road trip with my one week old. (laughs) You know, like you can do whatever you want to do. You just have to recognize like it's just going to look different. So it's been more about setting expectations around what do we want this life to be? What do I want this day to look like? I use a process every day called the three things. What's one thing I want to do for myself? What's one thing I want to advance in work? And what's one thing we want to do as a family? So again, it's more of a practice of just recognizing how do I want this day to look like? How do I want this week to look like? What do I want this life to look like? And beginning to actually test things rather than thinking about things or hoping or dreaming about things. Once you take that little step of action and put it into work, you realize, well, that didn't fit. So I'm going to pass that on and not worry about it. Or this is working. I need to spend a little more time on it. And I think we are great planners as a society, but not so great at testing and being afraid to fail. And so I've just learned that that little bit, you know, even 10 minutes a day of something is better than nothing. And if I can get intentional about doing those three things, that helps me advance whatever my life is designed to be. I love this concept of A-B testing. We use this all the time when we're making content, when we're writing a blog or we're using a visual and we say, well, we're going to send half of the people type A and the other half type B and see what people respond to. And as you're talking about this, it almost feels like A-B testing in life. It's kind of like, well, we're going to try X for a while and see how that works. And if that doesn't stick, we'll go and try Y. It really gets to the center, I think, of what lifestyle design is, this freedom to continuously test what works for you and what doesn't work for you. I had a couple of years ago, I wanted to audit. So I was deep in our finances. <laughs> We've been on this journey for probably five years now. And I really wanted to understand what did it cost to have joy in our life? And I know that's a weird kind of philosophical question, but I didn't know. So we started to do one-on-ones with each of our kids where I would say, okay, you get your day. And at the end of it, I would track everything that I spent money on. What did we do? And then the kids had to kind of reflect, like, how much joy was that? Was that a 10 out of 10? Or was that a four out of 10? And it was interesting because we realized that the things that were bringing us joy didn't necessarily cost a lot of money. So we didn't necessarily have to sacrifice a lot of our budget along the way is because And we've learned that because of this continuous testing and just adding a metric around joy as opposed to the hard and fast black and white things like finances or what did we do where, you know, it's easy to look at the tangible things. It's harder to assess behavior, personality, you know, all of those untangible lifestyle feeling things. Has all this changed your sentiments about financial independence and financial freedom? I mean, you're describing lifestyle design. And a lot of us who got into, for instance, financial independence, we kind of wanted to do that so we could make enough money so then we could design our life. What you're doing is you're talking about designing your life now, regardless of where your finances are. 
Is there less urgency when it comes to your finances as you've kind of created this life that you're living now? Yes and no. (laughs) I mean, I still want to get there. I'm still competitive by nature. So there's definitely this like, oh, I just want to get there because I'm loving life right now. But there is also joy in coming back and having a routine and feeling like I'm contributing to something that's making a difference. And so I think part of the challenge is I don't see myself as a RE kind of girl. You know, I don't necessarily resonate with the retire early as much. It's more about, is there going to be enough money to still focus on the things I'm passionate about and contribute in a way that's meaningful? If I'm not, you know, constantly showing up for a job, that has been more fun for me now to, to talk about and figure out is, I, I don't know, I don't feel, part of the reason I was intrigued by financial independence is that I am a little bit of a rebel. One of the aspects of my personality that really intrigued me by financial independence is I've never been a black and white person. And so it was never about the number per se. Yes, I know I want to get to this number and I I appreciate the milestones and the benchmarks as measures of progress, but it's never been about the end game. It's really been about like, well, how can we get there? What would that look like if we got there? And I love just challenging the status quo enough that that's what's intriguing to me. It's like, how could I figure this out? How can I hack this system enough to say like, you don't have to go to college. You don't have to have a house. You don't have to. I love thinking differently about that because society likes to tell you this is the path and you work 30. You know, I I just love challenging that because for me, it's been enriching and nourishing to have those aha moments and still be like, but it's not sacrificing the journey. You know, we're not sacrificing the journey for the destination. We're really looking towards that destination. That's still guiding us all this throughout the process without us feeling pressure to get there faster. I've heard enough. I think there's enough people ahead of us on this path. It's been helpful. You know, I think about individuals like Jillian Johnsrud and who's done like many retirements. And I've heard about the mad scientists, you know, like people have gotten there at different times and places And I never felt compelled to get there at 27. I never felt compelled to get there at 40. I never, you know, I don't know what my actual date will be, but when I know, I know. And I think that's part of the gut reaction is like letting your intuition also be a part of the equation. And often we like to be like, "Eh, nope, sorry. It's, (laughs) this is the number. These are the facts, but your gut is a data point that we also need to listen to. Let me flip it around. Let's say you could snap your fingers and be financially independent. How do you think your life would change? I don't know how much it would change. I have, I've, I've toyed with, you know, I had the conversation last night. I just ran my net worth numbers and I looked at my husband. I'm like, well, we could take a year off starting right now if you want. And he goes, well, that feels weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just don't think we're ready to, to walk away from it and be confident that that's the I think there's some prep work that needs, you know, the, the three weeks in Hawaii was great for us to test it again and go back to testing because can we really tolerate each other for three weeks if it's just <laughs> us and what does that look like? And do we have enough other outlets along the way? So for us, I don't think we're ready to take that year off yet. I think we're, we're getting there, but we, we continue to ask the kids questions all the time too. When we got the RV, I'm like, could you imagine living in this? And they're like, mm-hmm. Maybe, well, maybe, you know, so it's just, sometimes it's just questions and often left field questions, you know, when people are least expecting them that are good gut checks just to say, how do we feel about this? Do either you or your husband feel particularly married to your careers? Not married to them. No, I love my job though. 
And I have a sense of loyalty at this point to my job that I would never leave them high and dry. You know, I've, I've given them enough to say, you know, we need to start talking about succession and future planning and all of those things. We're in strategy mode right now. So I still feel compelled to support them through that transition process and may even, you know, suggest I could consult with them or something. I don't know. I don't have this tie to them where I feel like I have to stay, but I also feel that I am so grateful for the opportunities I've had in that role that I wouldn't want to sever that tie as well. You know, there's a lot of bridges that we've maintained throughout this process throughout my entire career. And I'd want to make sure it's mutually beneficial for both of us. So I think my husband could probably leave teaching after, after this year. It's been a rough year. It's been interesting on many sides, not just from the work side, but the politics and the systems and the, you know, perceptions and parents and all it's, it's, it's interesting once you're in those moments, you know, when you think about what an ideal life would be, I've had a lot of opportunities too to test different jobs. I've done a lot of different things and my path is kind of crooked and people are like, you have such an interesting background. It's because I was curious enough to say, I want to try that. And I would go after it. And then ironically, I'd get the job. <laughs> it's like, well, they actually do all connect. And I think sometimes we're so afraid that life has told you you have a degree in marketing. So you stay in marketing and you do this thing, or you have a degree in education. I've known so many teachers that are like, how did you get out of teaching? And I was like, well, I just was curious enough to try something else. Teaching applies to so many different things. If you think about standing up and talking in front of people, you do that every single day or designing curriculum or I'm like, that's training. And there's tons of training opportunities in corporate world. So it's just looking at what your skills are instead of your passions and then driving, letting the opportunity of your skills kind of drive where you're curious. It doesn't necessarily matter what the thing or the focus area is. It's more about how can I add value in this field? And so that has been really beneficial too for me because I got my master's in technology, which is, I don't ever want to work in that field, but it was intriguing enough for me to go, oh, this is really helping me with podcasting and website design and all the things that probably wouldn't be high on my list. We're talking curiosity and testing. Tell me what you think the effect this has been on your children. What are they learning? How has it been for them? How's it been for them maybe different than it was for you as a kid? Yeah, I was a child that did all the things. I And not because I felt compelled to. Both my parents were working class parents. Never felt the pressure to be on the honor roll or take all the AP tests or anything like that. It was great. They loved that I did it, but never felt the pressure. And I feel like that's what's missing from today's society is there's this expectation that you're at this level. Um, and that thankfully, I didn't have that pressure. And so I want my kids to feel like you can thrive in whatever is intriguing to you. And we still feel there's value in having someone else teach our kids. You know, that's part of the reason we haven't gone completely to homeschool is it's a different experience when someone else is teaching your kids because they listen differently. The interactions are different. They have different exposure to things. And that I still value enough that I'm keeping them in the public school system. And at the same time, I'm encouraging them to try whatever's interesting to them. My son loves you know, fishing and I hate fishing, but I'm like, yeah, go do it. And he's gotten into tying flies and understanding environments around it. And then my husband's big in the tech ed field. So they literally went to his shop one day and made these metal stools. I'm like, they are getting such an enriching experience that so many other kids are missing out on just because they're exposed to different opportunities. And that's through travel. It's just through interest led learning. And when we're not getting those things at school, we really try to nurture it at home. So I think those things, if if families can recognize that school is not an end-all be-all, and I kind of, 
I don't like it when people are like, here's the things I learned in school and here's what I should have been learning in school. Well, why is it the school's responsibility to raise your kid? It's not. We've that's the easy way to put it on the school to figure it out. But I think we as adults in general have a responsibility and an opportunity to educate kids in so many different aspects of life, including financial education and financial independence and things of that nature. I was just laughing too, because we played Monopoly for the first time. I'm like, oh, let's talk about real estate. You know, we haven't talked about real estate in our family. Let's talk about this. It was a great opportunity to use everything that is around us as a learning opportunity. We're talking lifestyle design with Heidi Dusek of the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm Doc G and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. On this episode, we'd like to give a shout out to Unify Money. The big banks spend billions of dollars on advertising each year and create special acquisition incentives and promotions to attract new customers. And you know why? Because they have to. Because they offer very poor value for customers' deposits. The separate accounts and functions make it purposefully complex to manage money. All these expenses, advertising, branch costs, etc., have to be paid for. Unfortunately, it's the customers that foot the bill through low interest rates and high fees. A typical bank retains over 90% of what they make from people's money. Unify Money aims to give 90% of the money back to users. It has been created to provide people with a better way to manage their money. Unify Money offers a single solution that includes everything you need for everyday money management, including saving, spending, and investing. Unify Money has optimized your personal financial management to make it effortless, maximizing passive income via interest and cash back and creating long-term financial assets through investment automatically and by default. Unify Money makes your money work for you, not the bank. If you want to learn more, check it out. Go to earnandinvest.com slash unify. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash U-N-I-F-I and check them out. We are talking with Heidi Dusek of the Ordinary Sherpa podcast about lifestyle design. We were just talking about your kids and financial independence. How do you think their concept of career has changed as they've gone through all these adventures? I remember growing up and I was very stuck on this idea of being a doctor. And I feel like a lot of people from my generation, Gen Gen X, were very career focused. Do you think your kids will be as career focused? I don't know. It's hard to tell because we've even talked about this from like a 529 perspective is like, do we do the 529? We we started one just to like know that we could, they can all be beneficiaries of it. It's so hard at this moment in our lives too, to even think about what careers will look like in the future. So my goal is to have as skilled in a lot of different areas so they can be a little bit more generalist as opposed to specialized in a certain field and, and go all in on one thing. I think their passion and their interests, but also their experiences will offer them a path that probably most other kids won't have had. And I think there's so much learning that happens in experience. And just, you know, to go teacherish on you for a little bit, we really don't remember most of what we hear. My kids are doing a lot of things and they can apply that to so many other areas. And I'm not saying this from like, oh, my kids are better or anything like that. It's just that we've made choices not to specialize. We've made choices like my son's very into baseball and we've decided like we're not signing up for travel league. Sorry, you can travel and do baseball 
and everybody else has to sit on the sidelines and watch you, or we can spend the summer and go to Hawaii. <laughs> like, what are you going to choose? And so having their voice be a part of the solution, as well as recognizing you can still play rec bay, play baseball and no, you're probably not going to play college ball. Are you okay with that? The kids are at the age now where they're making their own decisions and helping to influence what they want their path to be without really knowing what the destination is. Like, I don't know if my son's going to be in the trades and I don't know if my daughter's going to be a writer. Those are things she's interested in or they're interested in, but how do we ever really know that, right? I don't think anyone is as set as we once were in the specialization or or the exact career that we think we want. You mentioned that we don't even know what skill sets will be beneficial in the future. It makes me think a lot about this pandemic and how it has changed us. How has your idea of adventure changed during the pandemic? So a lot of our adventures, I forgot what was available to us in our own backyard. We live out in the country. This is, has been my home. So long story short, I, it's a fourth generation farmhouse that my family has owned. It's a lot of acreage around it. We own a trout farm. All of these things that were things that I just kind of forgot that we had at our disposal in our backyard, you know, and during the pandemic, it was hard because I, my job went like through the roof in terms of workload and I was working from home and all the adjustments that on we decided we would take kind of a family field trip, which meant we would go outside and play, <laughs> but we turned it into a field trip. And, and one of those was ca- canoeing. So there's like a wetlands behind our house. It was just canoeing out to the, this area of property that I'd never been to. I'm like, this is opening my eyes to so many things that are in our own backyards, not just on my own private property, but parks and waterfalls and things that were within an hour of us that I had no idea even existed prior to the pandemic. And we were forced to really explore those because we were forced to stay home. And that for me normally would have been uncomfortable. I'm not a girl that stays home very well. Uh, I get a little antsy and I'm ready to go. And so for me, having to stay home and get comfortable in that now is a little bit more acceptable, I guess, in my lifestyle and recognizing that it's not about travel, but helping us reframe what an adventure looks like has even been helpful and things like just going outside. So I think it's, it's added a lot more, I don't know, it's just made the menu so much bigger, which you know, more is not always better, but recognizing it doesn't have to be X in order to be an adventure that we can really create those moments and and get creative. I think the intuition and the ingenuity that happened because of the pandemic was also a lot of fun. It forced us to think about things differently. As I listened to you during this interview, it hits me that you are a fairly adventurous person to start with. You're willing to put yourself out there. There are a lot of us listening right now who probably are not so adventurous, and yet we're listening to you and saying, yes, this sounds good. I need to start designing my lifestyle a little more. How can people dip their toe into learning about these adventures? If you are kind of more a stay-at-home person or you are not always as willing to put yourself out there, how do you get started? Yeah, I love the question. What's, when's the last time I did something for the first time? I think that just gets you thinking about what have I been so comfortable with that I'm not willing to try or I've been afraid to trying. And a lot of times I see this in partnerships or in families where one spouse might be more adventurous than the other and or one kid might be more adventurous than the other. And so it's trying to figure out whose who's threshold are we working towards. We talk a lot in my, I have an ordinary Sherpa everyday adventure challenge happening right now. So we've talked a lot about uh, minimum viable product. <laughs> what is the minimum level of adventure so that you can get that sense of that you're doing something that's fun, that's stretching you without feeling like it has to be climbing Mount Everest. You know, I'm not going to climb Mount Everest, but that's sometimes what I think 
people's mindsets around adventure are is the epic. So how can we create it just really tangible? How can we take that little step of action and just do something simple? And, you know, things like learning a new language or trying different recipes or trying different foods, those can be adventures too. You know, it doesn't have to be getting out of the house and exploring the world around you. So I think just checking your mindset. When's the last time I did something for the first time is a good question just to start you and then saying, okay, what's the next step? What's the first step on this path? There are levels of stepping out of your comfort zone and you don't necessarily have to jump off the cliff. No, exactly. Yeah. I don't have a parachute. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, maybe I do with financial independence, but I have no desire to jump out of an airplane. I have no desire to go skydiving. I, you know, like none of that stuff is is actually on my list. And I don't even have a bucket list, by the way. I just have decided that life is too precious, that I need to accept the opportunities when they present themselves rather than always tracing towards something. So for me, I just love accepting the adventures when they show up in my life and being willing. I think the shift is saying yes, right? Instead of saying like, oh no, I could never do that. What would happen if I said, yes, I'll try it. And I think that has been super fun just because curiosity has led the way and I'm, I'm not as afraid of what might be on the other side. Yeah, it's a reminder that mindset comes before action. And often it's changing the mindset that is actually the most monumental move, even more than taking the first step. Let's pivot to the podcast. Tell us about the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. How did you come up with that name? (laughs) Yeah, so the icon of adventure might be climbing a mountain or hiking or doing all these really epic things. That's where the Sherpa aspect comes in. I was actually reading a book at the time of someone who was climbing Mount Everest, and she talks so incredibly supportive and how important the Sherpa tribe are to the climbers of Mount Everest and recognizing that that tribe has a really critical role in that community. And I, that was, so that was like my mindset is like, how do I honor the Sherpa tribe as key people and supporters of helping other people reach their summit? Because so many Mount Everest climbers would never reach the summit without a Sherpa. So there's kind of that guide aspect. There's the Sherpa tribe. That was, that was kind of the icon of adventure, but like, I'm just an ordinary mom. There's really nothing special about me. And I think so many of us just want to blend in. We don't necessarily need to stand out. We don't need to be the epic. We don't need to be out there traveling the world. Like it's so easy on Instagram or wherever you go to see all the highlight reels of everybody's life (laughs) and think, gosh, I got to be those things in order to be adventurous. And I wanted to really send the message like, no, you can have adventure and just be an ordinary person who doesn't post on Instagram every day or doesn't have a podcast. So really it was creating a voice for families. I also felt like when I became a mom, I had to choose between my career, between being a mom and being adventurous. And I was like, I don't want to choose. I don't, I want it all. And I think you can. So I just wanted to give people the permission and and then create a community around it. So that Sherpa tribe is really an important piece to this is that the intention was to also bring exposure, to offer this connection to other families that were struggling and wanting to connect or wanted some adventure to show up in their life, but then also have a support mechanism behind it to say, here's how we can support you and, and offer those connection points for others. And so it sounds like we have many different types of Sherpas in our life, but I also got the feeling that you meant us to look at ourselves as Sherpas too, as almost our own Sherpas. Am I correct in in saying that? Absolutely. I don't think you have to be highly skilled in anything to be a Sherpa. You know, I think empathy is one of the greatest skills ever. That is the most underrated skill. So just understanding where people are at and recognizing, oh, I have something that could help them. And sometimes all I need to do is listen. 
for those of us in financial independence, we've kind of, we're kind of weird sometimes, you know, we're not necessarily the ones that are on a traditional path and that can be lonely. And I think just listening and recognizing when someone's on a different path than you support them on that path without having to judge them or, you know, put your perspective on them and say, this is how it should be. I think of those are all meant to be, I think, good intentions, but people don't recognize the damage that does. And so I wanted to create the space where empathy and belonging and connection were really pivotal to the brand. And I, yeah, I would agree. Every single person is a Sherpa in one way, shape, or form. It's just how do you, how do you play that out? In our community, we often talk about opportunity cost, and we specifically talk about the opportunity cost of money. If you spend your money today, it won't be there compounding and investing. But after listening to your podcast and your story, it reminds me of the fact that we have an opportunity cost to experiences and that experiences and happiness and joy and connection, all of those things compound also. And I think it's important to remember that it's not just all about dollars and cents. So I've really appreciated you telling your story about how adventure plays a role in your life and helping you connect uh, with your family members and your community in general. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life. And if people want to know more, where can they find you online? Yeah. Up next is we're going to keep adventuring. We have a pretty epic year. I mean, 2020, unfortunately, because it, it caused so many travels to be canceled. Now it's like they're happening in supersize. So a lot of things are happening in the RV. We'll be traveling a little bit more, but again, more locally. I was a travel hacker, a travel rewards kind of girl before. And so we've kind of taken a shift and said, you know, there's so much of this world that we haven't explored and we've been flying over. So we're going to try and do a few more road trips and some time just together. We're, we're experimenting with slow travel. I'm not really good at that. I like to really be a, an optimizer in my time and hit all the things. So I'm really trying to slow things down a little bit in terms of... What's up with the podcast? Ordinary Sherpa is the brand. You can find us anywhere podcasts are played. And we're still building out. Uh, We have a challenge going right now that we're in the middle of is really trying to support families just to have everyday adventures. So it's a 90-day adventure challenge. That's been kind of fun just to help people do adventures in their own backyard. You can find us anywhere, really, on Ordinary Sherpa, Facebook, Instagram. I have an email list at OrdinarySherpa.com backslash subscribe if you want to go there. But yeah, there's anywhere... Ordinary Sherpa, any pod, any platform, you can find us there and, and join us. I highly suggest you take a listen to the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. If you want to hear more about my story, you can listen to episode 20. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, I wanted to thank Heidi Dusek. That's a wrap. Sweet. And then the cool rap music. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So anything we didn't cover, anything you wanted to talk about that, that we didn't go over? No, no, not really. I know it was a little bit of a potpourri, but I think your story touches on lots of things, right? Because it touches on finances, but it touches kind of on adventure. It touches on lifestyle design. It touches on kind of this time element and what we do with it. Um and a lot on relationships and career. So it's kind of, there's, I think there's a lot there that interconnects. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity too. I love, I'm really just starting to branch out. So it's been fun just to connect with you. I had a, on our mastermind call, I met with Joel. Uh, I can never say his name right. So say hey, say he. Oh, Joe Salcihai. Yeah. Yeah. Salcihai. See, I'm like, ah. 
Um, and he was talking about your podcast and I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I love Doc G. He's great. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Joe and, and I work together on Earn and Invest and I do some creative work with him on Stacking Benjamin. So yeah, fun. Where were you? What In what terms were you talking to him? Were you interviewing with him? Or are you doing something in a mastermind? No, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm in uh, Vincent Puglisi's uh, uh, Total Life Freedom Mastermind. And so he was a guest. Just yeah, he told through, me he was a guest a while ago. Yeah. yeah, talking through different ways to approach podcasting and advertising and revenue streams and stuff like that. So we just got talking. That was kind of the context of the, of the session we were together on. Yeah, he... Um, He's the guy who knows about all that stuff. He's got a <laughs> deep, deep history of working with this, works with lots of podcasts and, and knows what he's talking about. So, Well, and I like, I like that he's willing to challenge. You know, he was talking about the review when someone said, you know, you're really not as funny as you think you are. And they yeah. thought I was going to stop being funny. And really, I decided to up the game and learn comedy. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I love it. Yeah, no, uh, bad. It sucks. You know, getting bad reviews really sucks. But they do, like, they can help you, like, Joe put it this way, and I think it's very true, is the bad thing is when people hate what you do and don't say anything. If someone cares enough to give you a bad review, at least they cared enough to go. And and so uh, what they say has, it's worthwhile listening to it. Now, they may not know exactly, like, they may not give you the best advice, but there's probably some kernel of truth there for you to look at or at least consider. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's easy to get caught in the negative, too. It's and uh, how are you feeling with the podcast? Are you pretty happy with where it's been going and, and feel like you're building your skills and having fun with guests? And Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I don't know where it's going to go. It really came from a place of curiosity and wanting to connect with people who just like this kind of stuff, because we do at some point plan to take a gap year and travel around. And my big concern has been, how do we connect with other people on the road potentially, or meet up with other people? And so I was hoping I could connect with enough people that had interesting stories or had a different, a similar mindset that would be interested in connecting along the way. And from that lens, it's been amazing because I think that has opened my eyes to what's available and what's possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if this will be the thing that I, I mean, I do it from a place of passion. So for me, it's hard to ask for money because I wasn't really intending to go that route with it, but I do think there's value to it more from a financial independence and tax benefits purpose than yeah, anything. Yeah, so. yeah. But it's been fun. It's a skill I didn't know I had. I had a lot of people talk to me about, you know, you're really good at interviewing. And I was like, oh, I guess. I mean, I've been interviewing people for years in the philanthropy space. So, yeah. And it's a fun, there's something about being able to interview someone, like being able to ask questions that get them to talk about important or interesting things. It's, yeah. it's a real skill, I think. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. I love just talking to the interesting people, right? I think that's one of the best things. Is it, it, you know what I always say about a podcast? This is a wonderful reason to just write someone and be like, hey, I want to have you on my podcast. You're like, I just really wanted to meet you and talk to you, but this is the best. This is a right. good excuse. So, right. Right. All right. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. 
It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.